welcome to episode two of the Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. I'm H.J. Conrad, here with my co-host. Ali Matu, and today we'll be discussing Spike Jonze's new film, Her. And artificial intelligence in general. Um, so in our infinite crossover chamber, it will be Samantha versus Hal. Um, Hal 9000. Hal 9000, right. 2001 A Space Odyssey. Our top five this episode are top five AI films. I can't wait for I'm this I'm super one. excited for yeah. this. I'm very, very excited today. Whooped. Um, so in any case, welcome, everybody. Um, we are um, both, I don't know, I had been trying to stay away from some of the hype and the reviews of her because I heard a little bit about it, and then everybody started telling me to see it, and whenever that happens, I try to to... Um, isolate myself so I am not biased when I actually see the movie. Um, so um, I just went to see this this past week. And I have to say, overall, I was very impressed. I thought it was a very thought-provoking film. Um, I'm curious to hear what you thought about <laughs> it, but I'm, I think we're going to have some debates. I think we're going to have a, a good discussion about this. Um, I'm, I'm like you, Conrad. I... I really want to go into a movie without really knowing too much about it. And um, uh, this was out in limited release in December, and a few people on Twitter were talking about it. That's how I found out about her. Um, ended up walking into it without having seen anything, without really even knowing who's in the movie, um, and not knowing what the movie's about. So uh, it kind of unfolded like that for me. And, you know, I really loved the film and uh, i think it's there's so much um there's so much depth to it and so many things we can talk about so yeah i can't wait to talk about this um and you know as as ali mentioned it's directed by spike jones um pretty small cast um yeah very small cast so um the main main characters are joaquin phoenix Mm -hmm. um scarlett johansson and scarlett johansson who who's voice only Right. Um, and then we've got um, Amy Adams, Amy Adams, Olivia Wilde. Brief scene. Yeah. Brief, brief scene. Um, and um, uh, the dude from Parks and Rec. Yes. Um, um, who who we love. Um, oh, Blake, you got his name. I. These are times where I wish we had like a chat room or something where we could just kind of ask people. Ask people. Yeah. Um, um, but also Rooney Mara yeah. is in it, um, and you may know her from other films. Um, one thing I do want to say before we get going forward is that this is obviously going to be full of spoilers, so if you have not yet seen this film, I recommend you wait until seeing it to listen to this particular episode. And I think we both can probably say we recommend that you go see it. Um, uh, I think we both liked it enough to recommend it at that point without right. getting to Chris Pratt. Yes. Is uh, is in the role, and he's also on Parks and Rec, and he's been in a few things. He's coming up in Guardians of the Galaxy right. later this year. Yeah. Um, so I say we we jump in with with both feet. Um, basically, overall, I would say that this is people are I keep calling it an AI love story, and I do think it's that, but I think it's a lot that's more than that. Um, and basically, the storyline focuses on Joaquin Phoenix's character, Theodore Twombly. And he is um, obviously a person who's going through an emotional, tough time, I think. He's, 
he's gone through a breakup which and a divorce. He's continuing to go through a divorce, which unfolds during the course of the film. He has a lot, a lot of hard times dealing with things. He's very isolated. He doesn't interact that much with other people initially. No, um, no, he really is. From the first scene of the movie, you really get a sense that um, he doesn't really have too many relationships, too many friendships. Besides Amy Adams' character, he's kind of like a sister kind of, uh, right. kind of um, friend. But it's it's interesting because it is set in a future world. Yeah. Um, but. In a realistic future world, I guess. Kind of a um, near future, or just kind of extends a little bit on where we are now. Right. Um, so the clothes look a little different. The world looks a little different. Um, those, uh, the weird pants. pants. The pants are super <laughs> weird. I, I was a little troubled by this. But in any case, it's a, I think it was a, um, a believable yeah. future world. Yeah. I, I love how, like, hipster culture has become, like, completely mainstream right. in, this, in this movie. Yeah. Um, but it's a, so this is what the story revolves around. This is the universe it's in. And um, this character is just kind of, he's, he's gaming, he's doing all this other stuff, but he seems like he's a bit melancholy. Um, and he sees an ad for this new operating system. OS1. OS1. And it is uh, billed as a an operating system that learns and that conforms to or or changes based on who is the initial person that it bonds with, I guess, is the best way to put it. Yeah, it kind of um, asks you a few questions and customizes the AI to, to who right. you are. And it's supposed to be kind of a personal assistant that organizes your life um, and things like that. And so the character of Theodore buys this and initiates it. Um, and thus Samantha is born, who is his AI. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, um, it's an interesting take on artificial intelligence. It really is. Um, I, I think you have to think a little bit of Siri when you, when you ah, hear yeah. about it. Um, and she, you know, her character, it starts organiz- organizing his life. And at first you think, ah, this, this is a person interacting with technology this is what it could become like she basically organizes his inbox and says oh you don't need these emails i've gone through all this and she's got a gosh i would love to have that i actually would (laughs) um i was just discussing this with my partner bill and we were saying that if only um and i don't think we're that far off actually no no and that's actually the uh, you know you mentioned the video games and it looks like something that could be one or two iterations down from where the xbox is now with connect and you see Samantha at first, or you see OS1 at first, and you feel like, okay, I see a little bit of Google now there. I, little, I see a little bit of Siri there. And I, we could see this happening not too far down the line. If we have better battery life, if we have um, faster processors, if we, if we can overcome a few things, this could totally, totally happen. Totally be a reality. It's, yeah. it's realistic enough that you can see it, which is fascinating to me. Um, if you think about it in terms of other other movies with AI yeah. in them. Yeah. Um, and, and that's something that I think makes science fiction sometimes hard for people to, um, for people who may not be geeky or nerdy about sci-fi to uh, to experience, is the uh, suspension of disbelief. Right. And that's what I think her makes her so great, is it's not that hard to suspend your disbelief. Right. It, it doesn't feel, in that sense, too much like a sci-fi movie as as other movies might. Right. Um, and this is, you know, um, there's uh, following the movie. I did read some of some of the different reviews and articles, um, 
that were floating around about it. And some of them I feel were just super shallow and not really getting what, what it was trying to do. Um, a lot of them are like, this is just a warning sign. Like you need, everybody needs to stop being so connected to their computers and to technology and whatever. And it's like, um, no, I don't think that's what it was saying at all. Yeah. At least that was my feeling. Um, I, I agree with you. I read, um, the New Yorker's review by Richard Brody, um, really was pretty dismissive of the, of the film, um, saying that it's quote, a cautionary tale that offers warning where none is needed, a diffuse and sentimental admonition to put the smartphone down, push away the computer, turn off the TV, unplug the game controller, and connect with people. But I think her is much more about don't use technology, but it's bringing up these questions about right. what happens now that we live in a world where you can instantly connect with the person who's in front of you and completely away. Um, yeah, and you know, part of, part of what, and I also read that particular review, but... Part of, I was a little, that's just making it too ridiculous and easy, in my opinion, but I actually thought more what it was about was how connected we are and what that means that you can be connected with somebody. And if you're going through this hard time, like, for example, this character is obviously, he's depressed. I I mean, he's kind of going through the motions of his work, just walking around kind of lonely. And so he discovers this thing that, in my mind, helps him evolve and helps him move forward and maybe that wasn't necessarily available to him were this technology not there yeah Um, loneliness is can be very crippling and has huge impacts on your health and you could imagine being in living in this world if this type of technology is available it could be used in a way to help people to be able to connect with others. Right. Even if others happens to be artificial intelligence. But um, it was interesting how much I felt like Samantha in this particular movie acted, acted a lot like a a therapist. Um, (laughs) It was a lot. I mean, it really was because he obviously was working through some of the fallout from his divorce. He keeps having flashbacks of his ex or soon to be ex-wife. Um, and figuring out where he went wrong or figuring out what those things were. And um, and he really uses Samantha a lot as a sounding board. Yeah. Um, so that was that actually struck me and, and made me want to really talk about this movie with you specifically. <laughs> um, well, as a as someone who is a therapist uh, in their day job, um, you know, one of the dangers that happens um, if people don't talk about what's going on in their mind is. You, you kind of you ruminate and you stew and these things go on in your head and there isn't really much of a reality check. And you, if you don't talk to other people, you aren't able to kind of process these ideas, figure out um, what what you're feeling, what you're thinking. And that rumination can be pretty dangerous. Um, oh, right. And as we've seen with him, um, some of the flashbacks he has, he has a lot of very idealized flashbacks mm-hmm. of his ex. Um, and later on, when you meet his ex in the film, it's clear that things were not that way. Things were not quite as rosy. It's not all black and white. It's not all black and white. There's it, This obviously was not a healthy relationship for either of them. Um, and by using Samantha as a sounding board, he's starting to, I think, realize that and yeah. realize that some of his thoughts about it are... Um, are not healthy and are not correct, in fact. And you see him reach closure with that specific relationship. Yeah. Um, Probably with the help of Samantha and with right. the help of being able to talk to someone 
about the different thoughts and memories and experiences he's having. Um, that's that's a really interesting point, Conrad. And I I, um, I, I found I really enjoyed those scenes as well when it's just um, him up late talking to Samantha and. You know, she's asking these questions about his ex, and um, he's kind of figuring things out. It seems like he's piecing things together for the first time in a different way um, and with a different lens that he hasn't before. And if you, people who have a really good friend or a companion or a partner um, or sometimes a therapist, that's one of the things that they can help you do is to see things from a different perspective and um, to help you gain new new insights into things. Right. Um, you know, and I do want to talk about some of the things that I found weird about the film as well. Or There's that a few I, weird things. There were things. Um, one is that, you know, and maybe it's because technology is such a obvious integrated part of this particular universe. But to me, it seems pretty weird that, you know, they actually, this is the point where they're reaching singularity. Absolutely. Um, that was one of my major criticisms. Yeah, so and, where, where and are you going with this? On, well, I guess the thing is, I feel like humans would be, some humans would be more of an uproar about it. Yeah. And maybe they just didn't want to deal with it because that would be a totally separate story. And maybe that's why they decided not to address that. But um, it's interesting just because this would be a huge deal. We're talking about programs that are evolving and... Um, not only is Theodore evolving in this film, but Samantha is. And she's evolving and continues to evolve so quickly that, unfortunately, Theodore can't really keep up with her. Yeah. Um, and it's there, and that was, to me, in some ways jarring. I felt like they kind of, um, this was just one of my major, one of the things that took me out of the film a little bit is that, and this is my own personal bias, I guess, uh, Scarlett Johansson's voice to me, it just didn't, it sounded a little too breathy, a little too whatever. And there were certain points where she was like, oh, you just wouldn't understand how I'm changing, how I'm growing. And it just seemed a little <laughs> over the top. Um, but that aside. Um, we, we might have to disagree on that one. All right. It's okay. I, I, it's okay. I'll, I, I'll take it. But I just. I'll give you the, I'll give you the, um, the script at that very point. I did think it was. Those lines were a little cliche at times. Like, I'm growing in ways you can't understand. Um, it, it's a little, it's not you, it's me kind of thing. Yes, right? no, totally. And it felt a little ridiculous. But but I, but I think that part is more the script and less Scarlett Johansson. I, I think really she was showing us a different side of her acting that we haven't seen um, in her other roles. And uh, if you don't know it's Scarlett Johansson, I think a lot of people wouldn't realize that's her mm -hmm. in that voice. But the one thing I liked is that we never actually saw her. I think that that avoided um, some of the weird things you might get if there was an avatar yeah. of Samantha. Um, you know, you have the Uncanny Valley issue that I think a yeah. lot of people that would... You're able... And this is also interesting because they address this within the film. Theodore, at one point, um, with Samantha's urging, there's a sexual surrogate yeah. that appears. And he can't go through with an encounter because... He sees her face and it's not whatever he's imagining Samantha yeah. to be to him. And the audience in turn during throughout the film or throughout the film, I think ha because you don't see her face, you also in your own head are trying to imagine her. Yeah. And that's one of the uh, really interesting parallels with the movie is um, you see Joaquin Phoenix's character trying to imagine and understand who she is as the audience is. 
Right. Um, and that story goes parallel. And I love that they completely avoided the Uncanny Valley um, and didn't create some type of avatar that you'd get disgusted by and it tries to look human, but it's not. Um, it, you know, your criticism about the singularity, hmm. you know, it, this is science fiction authors, um, scientists have all kind of thought that the moment that intelligence explosion happens, where computers are able to develop AI and improve upon it and develop these succeeding generations of AI and reach a point of singularity where the AI is more intelligent than... And continues to be more And continues to evolve, continues to grow. People have said that this event might be so momentous that it is... Um, we, we will forever judge time as right. what happened before singularity and what happened after. Now, it might end up being nothing, but a lot of people have talked about this, and you don't see that in the right. film. And have you ever read The Singularity is Near by Ray Kurzweil? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think some of his ideas are just fascinating and I have to agree with him. I think it's in a very exciting time and I also think that we are actually pretty close um, to something like this. Um, but here's the thing. So, I, I, I was singling that out too as a criticism um, on my website and one of my good friends posted a comment, uh, Lowen Baumgarten, a, a friend of the show, he posted this comment saying, look, it's not an overt dystopia. Um, however, there's it could be that what we're not seeing on the screen is as much a commentary as what we are seeing. So, for example, some of the film is filmed in Beijing. There's a lot of cameras that you see kind of in the background. There's maybe this idea, especially with what's happening right now with the NSA, that there's so much surveillance. There's so much social control that the unrest might be happening on the internet. Oh, that's true. It might true. be happening there. That's which, an interesting point. Which I thought was a really interesting point. Um, now, there's no way to... To know no, that. To know that. But I think it's an interesting idea that maybe the unrest is happening, but in this future world where everything seems so perfect, that unrest is happening in a way in which you can't see it. Hmm. Um, yeah, so I... It's an interesting, and also I I know we chatted a little bit about this, but um, Radio Lab did this great episode called "Talking to Machines" or "Talking with Machines," and we'll put it in the show notes. But it talks about a lot of this kind of thing and how things may evolve and where we are now. And this is actually at least a year old or mm -hmm. so, I think. Um, but it talks about society's acceptance and people's acceptance of this kind of technology. And um, and I did see and I forget which review it was about her, but somebody was saying that part of why it probably wasn't such a big deal is that something like this would just be considered to be like um, like a new operating system coming out, like a new iPhone coming new out. IPhone, it wouldn't be yeah. it wouldn't be um, necessarily this huge deal because people were just so used to technology being so awesome and i think that might be some of the commentary of the film is we are becoming so used to seeing technology everywhere right and there's a scene where i don't know if he's riding the subway or a train but you see everyone on the train with ear with one of those earplugs yep. that that they're wearing and we don't know if they all have an os1 or if they're all like listening to their you know music or something but um, that scene is something I see every day on the subway. Right. And um, it could be that we're just so used to this that it really wouldn't seem like a big deal. Right. Well, it's also interesting if you think about what has happened in our own lifetimes. 
and how quickly things have been pushed forward. The fact that you can walk around with your iPhone, which has more power than the earlier computers that than, you may have, you know, an Apollo 11 right? spacecraft, yeah. um, or the fact that you can walk around with like a Wikipedia, which is basically like a hitchhiker's guide, which nobody ever <laughs> yeah, thought yeah, something like that would, would exist. So it's an interesting thought. Um, all I will say is that I do think people should see this film. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Um, so I'm, that's just my closing I, thought on that. Um, and it's an interestingly benign view of technology where I think, um, where I think sometimes we see artificial intelligence not taking such a benign role. Usually it's a very feared thing. Um, art, you know, having something like this, something that's thinking that's not human. Yeah. You know, with my, my only real criticism of the film is uh, how it treats uh, the singularity. Beyond that, I think this film is so rich, and we could we could spend so much time talking about it, about um, the love story and these ideas of of love and and emotion and, emotion. and what emotion means and what emotion means. I, I think you know you look at you look at the main character and um, how he kind of gets used to the status quo. He hab- habituates to different things and kind of gets tired of them and. And how that relates to relationships, I could go on and on about it. I loved, I love this film, and I really like Spike Jones's previous films, Adaptation, Where the Wild Things Are. I really enjoyed what he um, did with that. Adaptation was incredible, incredible. Um, and it, it, what he does is he creates these movies um, that, for me at least, they sit with me for a while and they create a lot of emotions in me. And the the, the climax of this movie for me was a moment where um, the main character. Real ask ask her like are you in another relationship, and she says you know I'm in thousands I'm in do you love any of them yeah six hundred something or something like that and he's six hundred thirty one six hundred thirty one very good memory <laughs> and he is he starts crying and that moment to me was so crushing it's crushing but it's also you have this moment where he's realizing because it's and she tries to explain to him. She's not human, you know, she is something else entirely. Mm -hmm. And so her processing and her interactions and she can do this stuff simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So it's it's an interesting thing. It's it's this horribly crushing moment where he comes to the realization that the relationship is not what he thought it was. It's not what he thought it was. And and for me, it it hit me so hard because it it just reminded me of all those times where I am with someone and I'm not. Right. You know, whether it might be, it might be, I'm just not giving the person my full attention. I'm actually thinking about something else or I am, I'm responding to text messages. And I think there was that subtle commentary there too. Right. And for me, that, those aspects of that movie, I felt like Spike Jones was just like, almost like he was talking directly to me and it felt so relevant to my life. I think it feels relevant to a lot of people's lives at this point. So, I think uh, we're both giving it a big two check thumbs it up out. Two and thumbs check up. many stars. Many stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the super fantastic nerd hour stamp of approval. Stamp of approval. I like that. Um, um, but I think we we should now move on. If you don't mind, is it time to open I think the doors? It is. It is. It is. Go ahead. Open it's time doors. to enter the infinite crossover chamber. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> um, today in the chamber, we have Samantha from Her versus Hal 9000. So this crossover chamber battle 
is going to be an interesting one. It's not like who's more powerful because they're both kind of machines. But the debate today is Samantha versus HAL 9000. Who is more human? Hmm. Uh, hmm. Yeah, this is a tough one. Or it's an interesting one anyway. This is one that could go a lot of directions. And we were talking before the show about what's kind of a fair fight for the two of them. And they're both created in some ways to be um, to either work with humans, to kind of replace humans. And they both have uh, their their journeys in both of the films is one that um, could in some ways parallel humanity. So we thought that this would be a really interesting question. Who is more human? Um, so on the one hand, you have Hell 9000. Um, and I'm assuming most people have seen 2001. <laughs> Spoiler alert if you have it. Yes. We're going we're gonna to talk I actually, about it. Actually, I, I would like to watch that again. I have not seen this for some time. Yeah. Um, and this definitely takes the view of, of it's an interesting evolution of Hal or how you learn about Hal in yeah. this film. And his little foibles. And he's he's probably if you th- if you close your eyes and you think of AI, you probably think of Hal Nine Thousand, right. one of the most iconic AI characters in all of cinema. And I would say scary AI characters. Terrifying. Um, Absolutely. He's, he's definitely on the other end of the spectrum from Samantha, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, or so we think. Yeah. Anyway. Well, we'll just find out from what we know. Um, he's you know he he likes. Um, interacting with humans like he consistently tries to reach out and and sort of influence them and he wants talk to, to talk them. to them and have he does he does um but what he always does um is that he there's definitely some flaws in his system um but well, first off he's he's there isn't a range of emotion to his speak right that's he's, true he always talks like he's very this. monotone. True, he's very monotone, and that's kind of a difference between oh, hey Theo, how's it going? The kind of bubbly Scarlett Johansson. Right. Her. I mean, Hal's most certainly a machine. You never confuse him mm-hmm. for a human on that end of things. You're probably, I mean, you might, but you're probably not going to have sex with Hal Nine Thousand. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure some people might. Might be interested in that, but oh, I, I, there are all kinds out there, Ali. I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised to find out that Hal has some sort of strange section of the universe where people are there talking about yeah. that. I'm sure um, we'll probably get some emails from this, but it's very angry um, about our comments. But you know, the human side of Hal is that Hal's kind of like Hal's got some faults. He he's got some things that are not going well with him. Um, so he'll start doing things that basically messes with the humans and not in good ways. And he takes vengeance if he thinks he's being thwarted. Yeah, he's that's, got... a, that's actually a pretty human quality. Yeah, it's it's incredibly human that he, he's threatened in the movie and um, acts to keep himself alive. He has a survival instinct. And he also shows, shows, shows some aspects of growth. He has the ability to read lips which mm-hmm. is a kind of a critical point in the movie where the astronauts believe their Hal can't hear them, but he he does he sees what they're what they're saying, and as a result creates this plan to kind of 
take out the humans. Well, because they're planning to take out him. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's I think you see different ranges in him. Um, and I think you even see fear from him. Like he begs, uh, begs not to be, um, yeah, not to be killed, basically. Um, and then it has one of the most brutal AI death sequences yeah. ever where he's singing Daisy and it's just really kind of unsettling how he goes. You, but it's you, super creepy, partially because of his voice, too. Yeah. Um, and it's... Um, He's fallible. He feels. And he wants to stay alive. But he also doesn't want to admit his fault. Don't you think that's a bit human? That is really human. Yeah. So, huh. now let's throw Samantha into this chamber. Okay. All right. And so I think, you know, she evolves throughout the course of her um, and she's evolving to the point where she has sex with Theodore. She's interacting with him. Um, she gets hurt. Um, she gets jealous. She gets jealous. She uh, suggests super awkward things for their relationship to <laughs> spice things up in their sex life. She wants to meet his friends. Um, she, um, she, she does show jealousy with his ex-wife. Um, and, and she does show certain things like she'll, she'll call him in the middle of the night because she loves him and wants to tell him she loves him. And you hear emotion in her voice. You, yeah. So you get that emotional range and you also get the impression that like Hal, she wants to grow as well. Right. And she wants to become more than who she is, which I think is a deeply human quality. It is, and with confronted some of her faults, or at least from Theodore's point of view, some of her faults, yeah. she reacts very like forcefully and negatively, and and unhappily um, when he when he challenges her about what's going on um, with their relationship and that there are problems, or when he suggests that that perhaps things aren't working out, she gets very upset. Yeah. Um, you know, at one point he says, "Why do you try to breathe like that? You're not even alive," and she. Oh. She reacts very much how anybody would react if you were being criticized or something that you're deeply afraid of. Um, so incredibly invalidating. I, I felt so bad for her. Right. That happened. Um, so, I mean, I think that she shows a lot of human qualities, but I also think she shows a lot of inhuman qualities because she doesn't fully understand why it would hurt Theodore to be conducting a multitude of relationships. In fact, 631 of which she's in love with. Um she she's interacting with people other than Theodore and valuing their opinion, um, such as the AI version of of um, is it Alan Watts? Yeah, yeah, which is which is pretty <laughs> that awesome. Was, that was cool. She's like, here, let me introduce you to. Um, but then, as she evolves, she actually becomes less and less human um, because wow. at that point, humans become too slow for her. And she and the other AIs decide to take off into a universe that we don't know about or we don't know where they're going. And so, you know what? In the end, I'm going to come down on it that Hal wins being more human. Because oh he shows fallibility, he shows fear, and he shows a sense of self-preservation. And he doesn't want to admit his faults. In fact, I think Samantha shows more inhuman qualities because she isn't in the end not weighed down by those and she needs to she actually finds human beings too fallible uh, so i i'm really torn here you have kind of totally thrown this big like monkey wrench into my my thinking here where i i was really i i on my in my show notes here i have it saying 
Samantha has more empathy, uh, therefore she's more human. Because she really, at least from most of the movie, shows this ability to kind of understand Joaquin Phoenix's character. And, uh, you know, the thing with Hal is um, he shows self-preservation, um, but every every animal shows that, pretty much. Every animal wants to stay alive. However, by the end of the film, you're absolutely right. Like we mentioned in the first, like we talked about in the first show with Dr. Manhattan, he's growing less and less in touch with, with humans. He's kind of growing in a different direction and losing empathy and understanding for humans. Similar thing is happening with Samantha, mm-hmm. where she's evolving and growing, and she's growing in a way that's very inhuman. Um, and she's growing beyond her programming, and her programming was designed in a way to interact with humans. Um, so that is absolutely true. So I think if you look at the whole, both p- movies, from be- both stories from beginning to end, um, Hal probably is the more human character, and that is not how I planned this debate <laughs> to go down. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is why the show is so much fun for us. Oh, oh, interesting, interesting stuff. Um, we've got a winner, folks. <laughs> and I, it's Hal it's 9000. <laughs> Who would have thought? Uh, well, that was so much fun. That was cool. That was cool. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know what you think. Um, and it is time now to leave the infinite crossover chamber. <laughs> All right. Um, so... On to the top five artificial intelligence films or films that feature AI, I guess, mm-hmm. would be a better way to put it in. Place. I guess, So we were talking before the show. This list took me a long time this, to put together. This didn't take. OK, this took me a long time in the sense that it was hard for me to narrow down. Yeah. Okay, so it wasn't that you were struggling to come up with? No, there's too many. Okay, so I had that too. So there's going to be quite a few in the runner-up categories, but I think we should leap into it so that we can uh, talk about some of those All right, I'm going to let you go first, Conrad. So number five for me, and this is, you know, part of why it's number five for me is because of where it stands sort of in the whole AI genre and things like that. But number five for me is Metropolis. Oh, Interesting. Okay, go for it. um, I'm sure most people know, but if not, um, it was a 1927 German film. It was a silent film. Yeah. And um, they had a lot of of pieces of this were um, lost, and there's been different reconstructions and things like this. A big chunk was just recently found in, like, 2008 or something. Right, and uh, they they redid things... um, but basically, it features, and, and False Maria was sort of my AI person in this. And this is um, basically the, um, she she is the creation, I guess you could call her kind of the, um, it, she's the resurrection of the wife of the main protagonist in the movie. And goes on to do some, she prophesizes things, um it's it's also a social commentary on what's going on at this time in Germany and things like that. Um, oh. And I don't want to get too far into the plot, but I feel like this particular film influenced so much of what came later in Absolutely. terms of AI and robots and how that was perceived. It's a really fascinating film. I highly recommend people try to check it out and also some of the remakes of it. You know, um, in, just in terms of how influential um, this film is, I don't think anything really compares when you look at the canon of sci-fi 
And every everyone has seen this character, that iconic poster of Metropolis. That is the main kind of character right there. And um, it's a beautiful film. Uh, great pick, Conrad. I completely overlooked Metropolis. Completely overlooked it. What's nice your number five? Uh, my not, number five is the movie uh, AI by Spielberg. Okay. Is that on your list? Um, it's sort of on my list, but continue. It's an honorable mention, probably, I'm guessing. Uh, so there's a lot of things I love about Spielberg. Um, there's one thing that I don't like is his movies really end well. They have this kind of happy ending, complete denouement. Everything comes together. And um, this movie suffers from that. Um, absolutely. the I, I think the film would have been great if it ended about 15, 20 minutes earlier, which I can say about Minority Report and a lot of the movies that he's done. However, that being said, um, AI gets into a lot of really interesting issues about AI. Um, it, I think it really deals with the ethics of creating AI well. Um, what do you do if you create these uh, uh, these artificial creatures, artificial people who unconditionally love you? And um, what happens if you don't want them anymore in your life? It deals with the uncanny valley. There's other characters who look a little bit off. And you see how they have been completely excluded from society. And there's a, a lot of really interesting issues. It's also um, Stanley Kubrick's, in some way, his last film, he, he passed away before it, it was created, but his um, his fingerprints are all over it. Um, I think it's it definitely belongs in the top five. Um, it's not my top five in some ways because I felt like it was a good film, but there were things about it that... I just felt like it was a very long film and certain things that I wanted to see didn't get addressed. And it just kind of kept going back to the same place in exploring these themes. Um, but I, I mean, I thought it was a pretty film. I liked some of the things about it. I thought Jude Law as the gigolo yeah. robot was in impressive and incredible. Really great. Um, and it's not because I don't feel like it belongs to the AI. I just felt on the list of AI movies. It was just um, I had other ones that impacted me a lot more yeah. than it did. And I feel like her as a movie belongs in this, but since we talked about it all yeah. already, I didn't put it in there. Same here. But um, I felt like... Same it, with 2001, too. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's why those aren't appearing. But I agree I, I agree with you putting it on the list, but cool. there were other ones. Yeah. So... Number four. Number four for me was um, The Matrix. <laughs> it's on my list. It's it's my number three. Ah, okay. Well, let's let's get into it a little bit. Um, it's an interesting universe um, where basically humans are being controlled by and or interacting with a lot of AI technology. So you have um, the agents, um, you have the prophet, and you realize throughout the Matrix trilogy that, in fact, all this world that they're in is really manipulated and created and um, by AI. Mm -hmm. um, so it's an interesting viewpoint of where the singularity could take you mm -hmm. um and not but it's interesting more so because it's not one-sided there are good programs and bad programs yeah it's not um it's not technology is bad it's technology is just an entirely different entity yeah which has its own rules and own moralities and issues and things like that so um 
part of why I included this in my list is just because I remember watching this and it is pretty dated if you go back and watch it now. No. It's a little dated. It, uh, I it, hate it when that happens. No, it's dated, but I still love it. It still yeah. has a place. And part of it's just how, um, you know, filmmaking has changed. So could, you could have it, to... Could it be that a lot of people referenced it, used it, evoked Matrix in later movies and it's just like you know you kind of go back sometimes to the source of uh, uh of these things and they seem so dated because it's been done so much well uh, it's that and i i think you're right i think it influenced so much and you saw all that you know the slow bullet the ma- and, the bullet and uh, you, you see all the the wire work um which was always apparent in some of those martial arts films that they used and that was introduced to an american audience um all those sorts of things but it was this movie I remember going to see, and I saw it actually, I think, at least three times in the theater when it came out, and was just so impressed by it and so amazed by it and really just made me think a lot and wanted to just think about what that world would be. Yeah, um, It was a great universe that they created. So everything else aside... Um, I think it's a fantastic film with AI. I agree with absolutely everything you've said. And I think for, you know, I, I'm a, I was a kid that grew up in the late 80s, early 90s. And I think for my generation, this was sort of our Star Wars moment mm-hmm. where you go into to this movie, you have no idea what it's going to be. And their campaign leading up to it was amazing. They had these trailers that would show this bullet time and show this leaping and stopping bullets, and the, I remember the last frame of the trailers, the commercials were, uh, no one can be told what the Matrix is, you have to see it for yourself. And the, this question would come up, what is the Matrix.com? <laughs> and it was right when the internet was really, com- was it was mainstream, but it was getting more into its kind of second phase of maturity. And um, it, I went into it, and special effects, the story, everything were just blew me away. And the, the Matrix really does a lot um, of integration of different philosophies, of ideas. Um, it, these aren't absolutely original ideas to, to the Wachowski brothers, but one thing that they do really well is they weave those ideas together nicely. Um, so it's a uh, fantastic movie. Bless really? you. Bless you. Um, fantastic movie. Completely agree. What was your number four? My number four is a very different film. It's 1999's The Iron Giant. That was my number three. Oh, my God. We, <laughs> I don't know what it is. This is really <laughs> fascinating because Conrad and I have had these mind melds on our top five. It's um, true. So uh, let's talk about Iron Giant. So this is 1999. Uh, Brad Bird, um, many of you probably know him as the director of Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, which is a fantastic action movie. He's also making uh, Tomorrowland right now. And he also did a couple of Pixar films or one Pixar film. Uh, did he do The Incredibles? I think he did The Incredibles. Yeah, great movie. Love The Incredibles. Um, so I'm a fan of the director. And the movie, if you haven't seen it, it's this animated film that really, um, the style and the look of it goes back to some of the more classic cartoons. It does, um, but I think that the big appeal of this film, the script was amazing. Oh, yeah. It was done so well. This is one of my favorite films. It's also one of the most heartbreaking films yeah. 
Um, just really Let's not beautiful. spoil it for people who haven't seen it. I don't want to spoil it. it, but if you have not seen it, please do. And don't, yeah. you know, I think some of the animation for, for some people now, it's sometimes a little clunky Now it to might watch. seem a little 90s. But if you watch it as a, as a classic film, yeah. um, it really is impressive. And it really delves into the emotional level um, that AI might take. And that's yeah. part of why it's incredible. I found myself crying during it. I oh, think yeah. most people did. And really just wonderful, wonderful. It's a um, great movie to watch creation. with your family, to watch with your kids. I think it um, kids will get a lot out of it. And I think adults will get a lot out of it. Um, and we'll all, I think everyone's able to relate to it. It plays on these ideas of how do we judge other people? Um, and it, it's a beautiful film. I tried to rewatch it before this episode. It used to be on Netflix streaming. I don't think it is anymore. It's not. It's yeah, not. You have to buy but, it. But it's worth it's worth the purchase. Um, if you're a fan of the show, then I think you'll you'll like it if you haven't seen it yet. All right. Um, so what was your number three? Since mine my number was... tr- my number three was The Matrix. Okay, so we, we kind of flipped. so we flip flopped a little. Yeah. All right. So um, we're moving into the top two. Number so number. Two. Number two for me, and this is, you know, overall, uh, and and we won't get into some of the later generations or iterations of this story, but it's the Terminator movies. Terminator, was that your number? Terminate, which Terminator are you talking about? Well, okay, so I, admittedly, I'm I'm cheating. Terminator Salvation? I'm cheating a little bit here, (laughs) but Terminator, the first two Terminator films. You're combining. I am combining. I'm combining only because when you think of or a lot of the times when people think of artificial intelligence, obviously they go to Skynet. Yeah. And there's all there's this whole thing, um, you know, when Skynet, when the singularity happened, when it becomes sentient and self-aware. And it's such a huge sort of moment and and thought process. It's so... um, really integrated into people's psyche. Uh, if you talk about the Terminator films or the Terminator, this is something that people automatically think of when they think of artificial intelligence um, and how humans interact with um, these things, how their world has changed by using these things. And unfortunately, in this case, it's not a good thing that's happened. Um, basically, it's a, quite a dystopian future. And the whole point of the films is that people are trying to change it. Um and then that leads us, the whole Terminator franchise leads us into the Sarah Connor Chronicles and things like that. Um, the reason why I can't choose is that, well, I mean, I guess the first movie was a bit, you know, it's low 80s. budget. It's 80s and it's low whatever. budget, early 80s. But it's but James Cameron's. I know. It is his, his, his big uh, debut. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's James Cameron before he could make giant mechs in every movie. But, but Terminator <laughs> 2, where you see the Terminator actually... Um, actually start to be somewhat human and, and he's changed and it's this total um, 180. Total one, you And know, it's such a mind F. It's a, it's a total <laughs> mind frack. Okay, there it's you go. It's a total mind frack. It's, uh, I think another thing about the campaign for Terminator 2 is with Arnold Schwarzenegger's T1, T-100, um, you did not know that he's going to be a good guy in this film. No, it was a really great Spoiler alert, I guess, if you haven't seen this yet, if you haven't, you deserve to have this spoiled. Um, t- leading up to that mall scene where the T-1000 to T-100, they're both kind of converging, and there's John Connor, and when the T-100 says, come with me if you want to leave, it is such a huge reveal. It is, and they use it in, oh, they've used it, that particular line. 
is used everywhere. One of my favorite times. Um, I don't know if you ever watched the show Eureka. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. they reference it. One specific character references the Terminator all the time. Yeah. Like he's constantly doing lines um, related to the Terminator, which is hilarious. Um, but it's it's just something that I think it belongs on this list. Uh, it absolutely belongs on the list. I put Terminator Two as my number one. <gasps> Interesting. Um, okay, it's, so it's my number one pick, uh, and I think the reason why Terminator Two went on the list and not one is Terminator 2 was so a part of my childhood. My mm. my brother was uh, 10 years older than me and kind of took me to go see movies I probably shouldn't have been able to see. But I was a kid at that time, and we went to go see it together, and we watched it seven times in the movie theater that summer. We loved it so much. And um, like The Matrix, you see things in that film that you had never seen before with the T-1000, the CGI effects there. It was a point where CGI was really arriving James Cameron played with it in The Abyss, um, mm-hmm. but I think Terminator 2 is the better film. Well, and you see different, you see the new generations of AI mm-hmm. within this film, and it's like, oh my gosh, this wasn't this wasn't where it stopped. This was where it began, this and then you began. see and you see just sort of like the different levels. It was very interesting, well, and the, the ideas of no fate but what we make, and. Um, some of the philosophy that comes out about that, about, um, you know, destiny and fate and choice. Um, and, you know, I, I have mixed feelings about the later movies. T3, um, it's interesting what they do there, um, where the Terminator comes and says, there's nothing that can stop Judgment Day. Right. You know, and it sort of flips some of the ideas of Terminator 2. I think it's it's a really interesting world. And of this whole universe and all the movies that have come out and all the movies that will come out, because it sounds like there are planning a reboot and all that, of course. Um, I think the best is Terminator 2. It's the Empire Strikes Back. I think you're right about that. Um, But the reason why I kind of cheated and put different things about the Terminator franchise is just because it's such an overarching um, place in terms of like where where people have gone with it and the stories that they've taken from it and been able to sort of spin in different directions. Um, that's why I've said the whole franchise. It's, it's, it is uh, cheating, though, on my it's part. It's cheating, but it's okay. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll allow it because you can uh, definitely play around with the time-space continuum in the, cool. in the Super Fantastic <laughs> Weird Hour. So it, what, what was your number two choice? My, my number two, which is probably going to be, my, which is my last one on this list, is Ghost in the Shell. Huh. Oh, okay. So that is an interesting choice. Yeah. Is it on your anything? It was it was it was in the running. Yeah. But I uh I would like to hear what your thoughts are on so, it. So Ghost in the Shell is an anime film from the nineties. Um and it kind of plays on some some of the uh cyberpunk themes of the time. And it's basically this this world where there's a lot of cybernetic beings. You can you can replace some of your body parts with cybernetics. And it, it's basically, um, I heard a story in researching this podcast where the Wachowskis, they went to their producer and showed them Ghost in the Shell and said, we want to make this for real. So if you like The Matrix, a lot of those ideas, a lot of those themes about being able to jack into people's minds, hack into your minds, um, partially replace yourself with cybernetics um and the fallout that that has in society you see that in ghost in the shell and it's it's based on this manga series there's a film there was a tv show and there's a sequel ghost in the shell 2 um i haven't seen it in a long time 
But it was one of those movies that uh, where the ideas of it lived on in my mind for a long time. And it really is also a descendant, I think, of Akira and, um, you know, all the great stuff that's come out of uh, Japan. And um, I, I I really love the, the film. And I should probably actually go back and watch it again. But well, I and I stuff. know um, there's been a lot of debate about it. Um, different people bought the rights, I believe. And I think uh, the last I heard was, and let me just confirm this. Uh, DreamWorks had bought the rights to produce a live-action film of the original uh, with uh, Steven Spielberg. So I can't imagine what a DreamWorks-Steven Spielberg live-action version of Ghost in the Shell would even look like. But it's one of those projects that I think, you know, often you see them just sort of run into a lot of problems, um, and they've changed writers a bunch of time. But I haven't heard that it's in pre-production. It would be very interesting to see. But you're right, I think Matrix got a lot of their ideas from it um, with the cybernetics and the different people and sort of um, interacting with those things. Um, It's an interesting series. I have not actually seen this until uh, um, since the nineties. So I would be curious. Maybe we should watch that again. We should watch it again. And, you know, since we're bringing up the matrix, we also have to mention dark city, which is a film that came out. Ah, yes. Near. And there's near the Matrix, before the Matrix, and there's been some debate about how much these ideas were borrowed from Dark City. I think both movies were probably going into production. Mm, there's no, debate about there's that. There's debate about that. I don't, I don't want to get into to that That'll particular be a debate. Hole. However, I will say that I thought the Dark City was a fascinating, amazing film. Great film. And the look really of it, it was very similar. And it was interesting, while I was watching the Matrix, I was reminded of Dark City. And I yeah. thought, hmm. Somebody, I wonder if some people overlapped or whether this came from some um, sort of cooperative or collaborative <laughs> mind, hive mind. I don't know. But um, that is an It'll amazing... It'll be another episode. It will be. Yeah. Um, so, Conrad, what's your number one? Um, my number one was Blade Runner. Oh, man. How did I leave this off my list? Um, you're so disappointed in yourself, I'm aren't really, you? I'm, I'm crushed. I am <laughs> crushed. I love Blade Runner. So this film is just when I first saw it. And obviously there are so many different versions of this film at this point. The one with the voiceover, the one without the voiceover, the, the one that's cut, the complete cut. There, the there final are so cut, many, but let's, cut. let's just call it, you know, Blade Runner, um, with Harrison Ford, um, it is just, to me, it was just one of those things that addressed a lot of the questions about AI, about how we use um, technology, humans use technology as tools, how you view those things when the, when those tools start to look human, mm-hmm. um, and how you deal with those things when they start to actually behave in human ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know... I have a disagreement, a long-standing disagreement with my partner who has tried to watch this film more times than I can tell you and falls asleep every time or gets very angry every time (laughs) watching this film. I still love it. I think it is just one of those films that I will watch over and over again and go back to. Yeah, Um, it it has so many of those iconic visual moments. Um, You know, starting from the beginning where it's like Los Angeles and then it opens up and... Like Los Angeles is a total <laughs> wasteland disaster taken over by the Wayland Utani. Is it Wayland Utani or is it Wayland or is it Utani? I I get all the that universe confused. What company owns what? But um, visually beautiful. 
this can we talk about the score for a moment oh gosh yeah it's amazing it is fantastic the love theme from that and kind of how it harkens back to some of the older um uh, the golden era of hollywood um how rucker howard looked so amazing in that film oh yeah harrison ford um uh oh my god this this movie is um so amazing uh, and like Matrix, the thing about Blade Runner is it was um, incredibly influential in just the terms of what science fiction looked like and who, um, how this, how science fiction movies were constructed uh, throughout the '80s and kind of moving forward from there. Um, I am so disappointed in myself <laughs> for absolutely leaving this off my list. Well, and I also I know they are rebooting Blade Runner, which I am really unhappy about, quite honestly. I think uh, at some point we should have, and we keep saying all these different things we should have shows about, but I think we'll have to have a reboot episode at some point or a discussion about reboots. Um, well, can we can we debate one thing in Blade Runner real quick? Sure. Is he a replicant? Well, that's the question, right? Yeah. Um, and depending on the cut that you watch, uh, I think it makes it more obvious one way or the other. Um, I think in the initial theatrical cut, it wasn't quite clear, but there are hints, I think, throughout that point to that, yes. I think I think he is, um, especially Eddie Olmos' character, Gaff, at the end with his uh, little, <laughs> uh, what was it, a unicorn? Yeah, his little uh, origami. His origami unicorn thing. Yep. Yeah. I, um, and I love Eddie Olmos. He's such a cool actor. I mean, I think it, to me it's pretty clear, even when he's questioning uh, Sean Young's character. Yeah. Um, the, when Harrison Ford is questioning her and how she doesn't even realize what she is. And it's yeah. just a sort of implication that, no, he doesn't either. And you you don't get a lot of sense of his past and things like that, like other than very small slivers. Like it's... He's he's an operating system, in my yeah. opinion. So it's interesting. So in any case, uh, Blade Runner is number one for me. Um, um, if I could go back, Blade Runner would be my number one too. Do I do I win this super fantastic nerd hour top five? I, I think, think I do. I think you do. I, I need to go <laughs> home and cleanse myself by listening to the score a few times. <laughs> in terms of runner up um, films and characters, there are so many to talk about. Um, so I'm just going to do sort of a quick and dirty rundown. Um, but um, one of the thing, one of the characters that came to mind when I was thinking about this episode was Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. Um, not Is one he my, a droid? Well, he's he a, a robot. He's built by the Vincent Price character. Oh, you're right. You're um, right. And he's having to deal with becoming human and the human pieces of the world and can't contend with them, really. Also a great um, score to that movie, too. Um, another sort of rendition or, or sort of cheesy ones from my youth, but the the... Um, master controller program from Tron and things about yeah. Tron. I mean, these are these are just sort of the the salt of the earth movies for me. Um, My favorite character in Tron is Bit. Oh, Bit is great. Yes. Yeah. Nope. Um, Marvin from Hitchhiker's Guide is yeah. another piece of yeah. AI that's a very human and depressed piece of AI, <laughs> yeah. but he's also hilarious. Um, so those were a few of mine, and then one last one, which. Um, just people get, you know, it's a seriously 80s film, but it was called Daryl. And it I was seen it. Oh, uh, it's we'll have to like put that on your your queue. It's a terrible film, but it's an AI little boy <laughs> that like has to sort of he his creator 
doesn't want him stuck in a lab, so he puts him out in the world to learn about humans, and it's really oh. interesting. Um, and it stars uh, uh, Barrett Oliver, who was in Neverending Story. Oh, one of my favorites. So it was during yeah. his his run. Um, and one last one is just AI in Hellboy Two. Huh. Um, there's the sort of you see AI used a lot, but there's like this whole army of sort of steampunk robots the golden army um and they're before steampunk was like so mean yeah yeah um but they are terrifying and it's like a terrifying use of of ai and they're they're just really hard to defeat so so those are mine what about yours um i've got a few that are movies and then i just wanted to put some shout outs for things that aren't movies um so one of the first ones was star wars i think um starting with the new hope you see um, droids and um, the interface between um, humans or human-like beings and droids. You see some of the Uncanny Valley stuff. You know, we don't serve their kind here. Um, you see some of that. Uh, Alien uh, with the oh, science yeah. officer and how he's a droid. I think that was really cool. Yep. Um, Star Trek, the motion picture with V'ger and how V'ger sort of gains consciousness and all of that. Um not my favorite Star Trek film, but probably one of the most authentic to the original series in scope and in ideas. See, I thought for sure you were going to mention Data. Mention I'm data. not there yet. I was just doing movies. Uh, Moving okay. on to non-movies. Um, Battlestar Galactica um, yeah. is, is, you know... If oh, you got that's it, if, an obvious one. Yeah, 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 if you talk about, oh, you're hanging your head in shame a little bit now. Well, I thought we were doing more films as opposed to mm, shows, okay. but um, yes, Battlestar is definitely on the. It's the got. Top. We got to make a shout out for Battlestar Galactica. If you like Blade Runner, you got to see Battlestar Star Trek: The Next Generation with Data. Yes, of course. Um, I was also going to do my bad movie that I want to recommend is Short Circuit. Oh my gosh, Johnny, Johnny Five. Five. <laughs> well, then you also have to mention Jinx from Space Camp. Yes, uh, yes. And that fun stuff. So, yeah, it's the list is never ending. The list is huge. My last, last thing is pretty much everything that Isaac Asimov wrote. Nice. <laughs> um, he's got, there's a great... Um, short story collection in two volumes of Isaac Asimov. So if you haven't read his stuff, um, that's a great place to dive into. He really kind of explored with his three laws of robotics and the universe that he creates. He uh, really explores a lot of these ideas of AI uh, really well. So um, I actually just found this list, which is called the top 50 robots and AI. And it, it, it brought up something that I'm now, I am now ashamed to, to not have Uh-oh. mentioned was transformers. Oh, I mean, come on. Well, so I thought about Transformers, and we were doing top five AI films. True. So I didn't put Transformers on the well, list Well, because I didn't like, yeah, no, but I mean, but in terms of AI and our culture and our yeah. upbringing, I think I feel ashamed that I didn't even mention that. Not but here's the thing, like, are they AI or like in the movies, they're aliens. True, true. So I guess, I guess. I, 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 that's a tough one. You're right. That sort of like walks the line. Yeah. Um, but um, since we are now out of time, a little bit over, in fact, we should. We're good. Uh, We're still doing pretty good. We should. We should wrap up. But I would love to hear um, our audience's yeah. thoughts about this. Um, Sound off in the comments. Shoot us an email. Visit the website superfantasticnerdhour.com. Let us know what you think. What's on your list? Do you agree? Disagree? Um, just don't 
send a self-aware Skynet probe after us. Yes, please don't. <laughs> no, that would be not good. <laughs> don't send her after us. <laughs> no, don't do that. Well, if you're going to send her after me, I think I'd be happy with you that. You okay have such it. a scar, Joe, thing. It's awesome. <laughs> um, but anyway, until next time, thanks everybody for joining us. So where can people find you online, Conrad? Um, I can be reached on Twitter, and my handle is dieprince. And I think you have a more complicated handle. I'm pretty easy. I'm at Alimatu, A-L-I-M-A-T-T-U. And um, you can find me on the internet. Uh, I am the science fiction psychologist at brainknowsbetter.com. Great. Well, until next time, Ollie, this has been a lot of fun. So I can't wait for our next uh, next edition. Until then, live long and prosper. Indeed. Indeed.